Hello, team, and welcome to Bureaucracy. This is your host, Emily Gross, and I am so excited to have with me today Ted Gerber. Ted is the director of the Center for Russia, East Europe, and Central Asia, and the director of the Wisconsin Russia Project at the University of Wisconsin Madison. How are you doing today, Ted? Well, pretty good, uh, all things considered. Yeah, Thanks. we are. Yeah, so I did an episode on Russia and Ukraine last week. We're going to do another one with new updates um, all about what the fuck is going on because it is crazy. It is so upsetting to watch, and I think it's really important that we kind of take another peek to see what the new developments are. So I just want to let people know that I will be drinking a lot and probably saying what the fuck over, over, and over again, and Ted's going to be taking the lead on answering the importance of all my questions. Before we start, Ted, what are you drinking? Oh, I'm drinking uh, red wine, actually, a uh, Napa Valley Cabernet. Oh, lovely. Um, I have a beer called Alexander. I specifically went to a specialty beer shop to look for a Ukrainian beer. However, they did not have one. And then I was looking and was like, all right, what else, what other country used to be part of the Soviet bloc and has successfully maintained uh, their resistance? And I was like, all right, let's look for a Czech beer. And they did not have a Czech beer, but they had a Czech style beer. And that is what I'm drinking today. <laughs> they didn't have Pilsner Urkel. That's a great beer. Yeah. From- it's a good style. one. And I, uh, but unfortunately I didn't have it. It was one of those like really bougie beer shops where a beer is like $20. It's ridiculous. Anyways. <laughs> all right. So let's start. What the fuck? <laughs> you know, it's we had great. seen this yeah. kind of building up for so long. And then overnight, it feels like it just absolutely exploded. What's going on? I know. I mean, I so so yes, it's built up for a long time. I mean, apart from the recent uh, troop buildup, you know, when that started to get attention in December, it actually goes back. There was another troop buildup um, around Ukraine back in the spring, and uh, so that already should have uh, caused some alarm. Uh, Putin has taken various measures in the last year that also you know really pointed toward this. Um, such as you know, giving passports, Russian passports, to the residents of uh, those two breakaway republics, uh, the DNR and the LNR, or Donetsk and Luhansk People's Republics, as they refer to themselves. Uh, and so, and they banned, they did things like banning Ukrainian language in the schools in those republics. Uh, the leaders of those republics joined Putin's party in Russia. Other clear steps. Nonetheless, in the in the recent run-up, I was actually surprised at how much skepticism there was among, you know, in, in many different circles. Uh, if anything, I think maybe Western kind of, you know, professor types, academics, Russian observers were more concerned than, of about an a- actual invasion than it seemed, uh, you know, the Ukrainians themselves and then certainly the Russian uh, scholars were, were didn't really think they thought that this would be, uh, you know, just a big bluff. By Putin, I think people started to take it more seriously actually when the U.S. started to reveal these intelligence reports about how Russia had planned these uh, false flag operations, these diversions, and then, you know, last Friday when Biden made his speech uh, saying that Russia is going to attack, they're going to attack Ukraine, they're familiar with all their battle plans. I mean, that really got my attention because I thought the U.S. president was not, you know lay that out if he didn't have really, really strong intelligence suggesting that would happen. And despite all this, despite the fact that we all expected this to happen, it's just devastating. It's absolutely shocking. It's I mean, awful. you know, it's it's awful to to see, you know, this big, strong country attack another country, its neighbor, which hasn't done anything. I mean, you know, I, it's just absurd to think that Ukraine in any way 
threatens Russia. And so it just seems like an all out, you know, one party is the aggressor. There's no, to me, there's no gray area here. It's just, yeah. uh, you know, and, and really also, I think it's Putin. It's Putin's war. It's not really Russia's war right. against Ukraine. Uh, I mean, we've actually had some debates among uh, colleagues about whether we should call it Russia's war or Putin's war. But I, I, you know, my, I fall down very firmly on the Putin side. I think this is just one man who has absolute authority within Russia. I mean, it's really one single man is making the decision to go to war here. And for his own reasons, which are not very transparent, to put it mildly, you know, he decided to to attack, and he's completely indifferent to all the suffering this is causing. Yeah, um, I think it's incredibly foolish on his part too. I think um, he's making a huge mistake. I think I think this is actually going to bring him down. I think this is the end of really? the end of the line. Yeah, I, I do. I do. I mean, maybe how I do you think he'd be brought down though? Because it feels like he has such a stronghold over his country. You know. Well, I think he he has he does have a stronghold over his country uh, for a number of reasons, mainly that he's been able to really terrify most of the people and, and eliminate any potential alternative leaders. Uh, but he's really, if you look at the pattern in the recent years, he's really cracked down quite severely. So right. he's been in power about 20 years, but uh, in the last year, year and a half, we've seen him try to poison his main rival, you know, using this internationally banned chemical substance, Novich, passed a raft of laws that, uh, make it very easy for the authorities to arrest anyone who they dislike for any reason, pretty much. Uh, he has actually implemented those laws and, and he's increased the penalties for things like showing up at a protest. Even, you know, you hear things about, you know, people posting on Facebook about a protest or even just putting a picture of a protest and that's enough to get them kicked out of university, uh, sometimes fined under these very vaguely worded laws. So he's acting like a man who's scared. He's acting like a man who's really afraid. There's lots of problems in Russia domestically. The Russian economy is really stagnated and, and in fact, even shrunk. And people's wages have declined in real value. I mean, you know, think about it this way. Uh, Moscow is just as expensive a city as New York, you know, with, with which you're familiar. But the average wage in Russia is $500 a month. Now, who's wow. going to live on $500 in, in Moscow? Okay, so, I mean, wages are higher in Moscow than the average, but still, that just gives you a sense of just how much of a struggle it is for many Russians to get by. COVID has been a massive problem in Russia, and, and they've done their best to try to hide the scope of the problem, to try to pretend that, you know, they were dealing with it. Which feels a lot like Putin does, is he's just like, no, 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 everything's fine. Yeah, no. He feels just Absolutely. like a terrible magician. Very, very bad at hiding <laughs> That's what he's doing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he um, he sort of lives by the credo, it seems, of like, make them stop me. Like, I, I, he's just going to keep on pushing the envelope and, and trying to get away with whatever he can until someone actually puts a stop to it. And so, I mean, I personally estimate, you know, the, the actual percentage of Russians who totally adore Putin and love him is really not that high, maybe 20%. The rest of the supporters are people who just don't know any alternative. They just feel it's easier to just go along with the flow. I really think that for Russians, making war, you know, attacking Ukraine is a very traumatic action, which is going to upset them. I mean, a lot of them, you know, they have family in Ukraine. They're yeah, I mean, Ukraine. there's been a lot of protests going on, a lot of anti-war protests in Russia as well, where I don't know if you've been on social media a lot, but on Twitter, I mean, being brutalized and arrested, elderly people being arrested for protesting this war. And 
I really want to kind of put the focus on Ukraine so people really know the atrocities that are going on right now. Can you elaborate on what Ukraine is seeing from Russia about how they're being attacked, the casualties, what's going on? I know there's a lot of stuff going on in Kyiv that's really, really scary. So if you could just kind of give the listeners an overview of the attack, that'd be great. There was a lot of uncertainty about how far... Putin was going to go. I mean, there was a, we were pretty sure he was going to attack, but we thought maybe he would limit himself to those, you know, eastern regions, Donetsk and Luhansk, where they've had these, uh, Russia's backed secessionist uh, rebels for a while. Um, and, you know, so I was personally shocked when Biden said last Friday, oh, he's going to go all the way to Kiev. And it turns right. out that that is indeed what he's done. So Unfortunately. it's an all-out um, attack so far. Uh, it looks like Russia has been targeting mainly military targets. So they've attacked you know, you know, some airports, uh, but mainly they've gone after command and control posts. But, uh, they, but they've, they've had air attacks, missile attacks. You know, there's tanks. Uh, there's actually armed forces. We don't really know. We don't have good coverage of what's going on in these engagements. But it does seem a few things do seem clear. So, yes, I mean, there have been some civilian deaths, although thus far we haven't seen like wanton uh, civilian-directed attacks, as in bombing, you know, residential neighborhoods or things like that. I did see there was some uh, rumors going around that he was attacking hospitals. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's a fog of war type of situation. I would caution yeah. before jumping into any conclusions. I'm not, I'm not denying that that happened, but I, I know, I do know that in any war, you know, both sides are going to put out stories about atrocities. And, and as far as I'm concerned, you know, or as far as I have seen, I've not seen confirmation that they directly targeted. Um, hospitals. So, so early, you know, before the war actually started, there was an incident where the the rebels uh, blew up a hospital and a school, and that near that rebel hair, the boundary of that rebel hair held territory. But since the actual Russian military engagement has begun, although there have been some, you know, some missiles have gone astray and destroyed buildings, some things have been shot down, and and you know, I don't mean to minimize. I mean the the suffering that the Ukrainians are enduring is really uh, unspeakable right now, and just right. the fear, the terror, and Civilians are being killed, and they're looking at the, the prospect of their country being occupied by a foreign army. So so my understanding, and again, now I'm limited to communication with friends in Ukraine and so forth, uh, but they, they're not on the battlefield. So it seems like most of the, you know, the military assault is happening on battlefields. It is military against military. It also seems like the attack is not going as quickly as Putin had hoped. So there, it seems like they're in Kiev now. There's a, a big battle in Kiev. It doesn't look good for the Ukrainian side. They're just overmatched. They're really showing a lot of bravery and courage in fighting. It's know? crazy. I saw that there's martial law enacted now, and literally uh, President Zelensky, right? Um, yeah. He's out there as well, and every Ukrainian who wants a weapon or wants arms and wants to fight is encouraged to do so. So I think we can all commend the bravery of the Ukrainians for That's defending. right. You know, I put myself in their shoes. I'm like, well, what would I do? Like, would I really go out and grab, risk my life and, you know, go out and start shooting at tanks, which is a right. hopeless cause? It really is remarkable. I mean, there was this incident of that island, you know, in the Black Sea where... Those 13 brave uh, border patrol people, they knew they were going to get you know, destroyed, and they were, but they were defiant, and they basically told the Russian ship to go fuck itself. You know, they, they were warned to abandon yeah. and And things like that, that just testifies like how much the Ukrainians do not want to be subjugated by Russia. They do not want to be taken over by Russia. What I fear is that things are going to get worse before they get better. Like, yeah. So I admire the bravery. I, of course, think it's great that the Ukrainians fight back, but you just worry that 
Russia will just escalate and escalate and escalate this force until they start targeting civilians, till they start uh, causing, I mean, they, it could, we could be looking at a street battle in Kiev, you know, as we speak. And that is going to cause a lot more casualties than we've seen already, a lot more devastation. And, it, you know, it's just tragic. To, it's to it's terrible. It is absolutely obscene to be watching on TV. It, it is obscene. And I think... Um, you know, I mean, people laugh as, oh, you know, Trump, you know, he said, he said Putin's a genius for recognizing these republics, ha, ha, ha. This is not a joke. You know, this is not funny. And I'll lay bare my own views. I mean, he should be ashamed. I mean, he should be ashamed for many things, but he should certainly be ashamed for justifying an action which is resulting in wanton slaughter of innocent people. I mean, how dare he? How could anyone be so inhumane, just so indifferent to to human life, just to kind of laugh at, oh, what a genius, Uh I see all these army tanks, very funny. I mean, and that I just find deeply offensive. They're all evil asshats is my specific scientific term for them. That's a good way to put it, right. right. So let's talk about what rationale Putin is giving for this invasion. Also, whatever he is saying is horseshit. However, let's dive into what it, because I've seen a lot of things going around where he's, wants to liberate Ukraine from Nazis. And Zelensky's like, yo, I'm Jewish, you know, which makes Mm -hmm. no sense talking about, there's been a lot of issues like surrounding NATO. There's been, he wants to, talking about overthrowing the government and electing them an actually democratic um, government. And I'm doing air quotes because this is actually an elected democratic government in Ukraine at the moment. So let's talk about what is Putin saying? What is his rationale? Well, his argument seems to have shifted a bit, but it, I mean, so, so, okay, so we'll get to the neo-Nazi part. So initially, you know, he gathered all these troops around Ukraine, you know, with a clear threat, like, guess what we're going to do? We have all these troops aligned in battle formation, you know, 150, 190,000. And he made these demands to the United States saying that, you know, the United States has to withdraw all of his troops from Europe. It has to agree or NATO has to agree but but you know Putin thinks that NATO is just the United States like he just thinks that it's silly to pretend that the other countries of NATO have any say whatsoever that I mean and whether or not that's true that's how he sees it so he wants the United States to withdraw his troops from Europe to guarantee that Ukraine will never be allowed to join NATO and also to withdraw um, you know to reduce troops and so forth it, particularly in those new member nations of NATO the former Soviet republics in the Baltics and Eastern Europe so that was his initial demands, and they presented those, and you know, began to know that the U.S. was not going to accept that. I mean, right. So then he shifted the rationale to this idea of uh, you know anti-Russian neo-Nazi fascist running Ukraine, and that that argument actually goes back to 2014. Like that's exactly the same kind of rhetoric that Putin and his cronies used, and that the pro-state Russian television used. I mean, they had all these fake stories about Ukrainian fascists crucifying uh, Russian children. And he actually argues that the Ukrainian state was committing genocide against uh, the Russian citizens, you know, to whom whom Putin himself made citizens. And there is no genocide. But it is an interesting ploy. And because it it actually comes back to this narrative that Putin has, has really tried to bolster throughout his, you know, his regime about World War II being this glorious sacred achievement and the whole world should be forever grateful to Russia for its great victory over the Nazis and any attempt to challenge that narrative about you know how Russia 
single-handedly, uh, maybe had a little bit of help from the Allies. But and to be fair, you know, Russia did bear the brunt of the casualties, and or the Soviet Union did anyway. Right. But uh, so it, 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 he tries to link up this idea of Nazis, which is is absolutely fabricated and fanciful. I'm saying that you know Nazis and fascists and what the Russians call Banderas. So Stefan Bandera was this extreme Ukrainian nationalist who fought against the Soviets after the end of the Second World War, and he was also an anti-Semite, and he was... And so the Russians, they label you know Ukrainians who they don't like as Banderists. I can't believe that Putin thinks anybody in the world outside of Russia believes for a second yeah. that Ukraine is run by neo-Nazis. It's really directed towards his own people. It just shows how desperate he is to try to right. justify this, but I just don't think it's going to work. I think Russians, they know, they travel to Ukraine, they have relatives in Ukraine, the Ukrainians come to Russia, they know what that country is like, they can't possibly think that it's, you know, crawling with neo-Nazis. And I think that's what Zelensky said as well, because when he did a speech to Ukrainians and Russians and spoke in both languages and was like, this is the real Ukraine, you know, like what propaganda you've been seeing is not true. This is who we really are and these were your neighbors, so stop. <laughs> Like, that's right. He, yeah, he, that, he did that. If I'm not mistaken, he, he uh, transmitted that on Facebook. And so right. perhaps not surprisingly, it looks like Russia is going to shut down Facebook. They'll probably do it over the weekend. And, wow. Uh, so and that's consistent with what I think Putin is trying to do. So and here again, I depart from, you know, the international relations theorists and the strategists and the analysts who say, oh, Russia, this Russia, that this is not about Russia. This is not about Russia's interests versus the West. No. You have people in the West who say, oh, it's all the West's fault. We shouldn't have allowed NATO to expand. The Russians have legitimate grievances. There might be some room for discussion of that. But but let's be realistic. This is Putin. This is one single man making the decision to go to war. It's not the Russian people. It's not even like the Russian elites, the Russian government. They're all terrified of Putin. How do we get him out of office? How does this happen? I know, let's talk about the sanctions and how the entire world's responding, especially focused on the U.S., because that's where we're in right now. How is the world responding to this? How are we going to stop this? Well, I hate to say this, but I think, you know, the only answer is the Russian people have to overthrow him. They have to cause enough disorder in the country. Uh, it has to go beyond just strikes. They have to go in mass protests. They have to create a perception of instability within Russia so that the elite oligarchs who perhaps do have the means, I mean, the people are powerless uh, against Putin in, uh, on their own. They really need the support of some elites. And so so Putin has stayed in power largely by, by creating this image of himself as the one person among the elite who has... Uh, the popularity, who has the legitimacy of the population. So if you can crack that veneer of uh, that appearance of support, you could quickly have a cascade of defections, you know, as the political scientists might call it, uh, among the elites where, you know, one person says, okay, I'm not going to do this. The thing is, it's very risky for any one elite to stick their necks out and say, oh, okay. Because they're going to get killed gonna immediately. Kill. Exactly. They're going to yeah. lose, you know, they're going to get killed very fast, perhaps in a very painful way. Right. And so they, um, they try. So, so the key is to, to, to get, make the situation so bad that enough of them, they start to try to band together and, um, and say, all right, enough of this. We can't take this anymore. And so I think the sanctions are designed both to make the economy much worse in Russia, both to, I mean, they, they, it's going to hurt the Russian people. Which is just uh, so upsetting to know that one person's just ego tyrant is hurting millions and millions and millions of people. That's right. It shouldn't happen in the 21st century. It really no. shouldn't. I mean, it shouldn't, you know, if, if humanity, I mean, we, 
we've had tyrants in history. We've had tyrants is, of course. Uh, but we've had, but you would think that given modern means of communication and modern uh, political institutions and so forth, uh, it's very discouraging to think that you have a country of the nature of Russia, which has a vast nuclear arsenal, which has all this oil and natural gas, all this power, is really come down to rule by one man. It really it's is crazy. a terrible dictatorship. It's crazy. Like None of the institutions matter. It took a while to get here. Like When Putin first came to power, it wasn't like that. Russia had some nascent institutions. It had a, a legislative body that was meaningful at least a little bit. It had a judiciary that occasionally would go against the ruling party. But Putin, he has a small circle of friends and cronies who, he's, who also have participated in his actions. And it's really, it's extremely corrupt, too. It really is like a mafia state. I mean, these guys are among the richest people in the world. Russia is a remarkably rich country. Its people live miserable lives because so much of the money is just stolen by a narrow group of elites. So I think this act in Ukraine, I think this was a huge blunder. I, I really think he has miscalculated. So first of all, I think he, it had, the way he understood it, like this was going to work out well for him. And, and I think he was worried about... He's fucking course. delusional. Yeah. Yeah, he is. This is people. This is why you need friends in your life who will actually tell you the truth about what's going on. You know, you need friends who will tell you have food in your teeth. Okay, and he does not have those people. (laughs) Right. So you're you're absolutely right, and and that is a key. So so that's a key argument in favor of democratic institutions that political scientists make. You hit it in a nutshell. I mean, they don't quite use that language, but you you, they should. I mean, because that makes it really clear. It's a very simple argument, and that is the problem with these authoritarian systems is the leader doesn't ever get any real feedback. So when there are problems, he doesn't realize and it's too late. And he starts to believe, I mean, I should use gender neutral, he or she, but you know, I don't know. I haven't, I don't know any like vicious, brutal dictators over yes, the years. Exactly. No, there are, because this is a man thing. You know, I've seen it's, a tweet that was like, if only the men who rule the world went to therapy, this would not happen. And it could not be more true. Okay. I think, yeah. I mean, they should be required to, to at least uh, smoke some weed and do something, uh, do something, Truly. whatever it takes. Right. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. So Anyways, I think we're yeah. in that situation where maybe he's just been so everybody's so terrified to to you know challenge him in any way when he starts to believe it. Maybe he really believes that the Ukrainians are desperate for Russia to come in and save them. Maybe he really thought the army would just lay down its arms and let him come in and execute their president and put somebody else in charge. It just seems absurd that he would think that. But all everything he's doing just seems absurd. It just, it's all absurd because this is gonna yeah. this is gonna hurt. Like there's no there's no positive result out of this for Putin for Russia for Ukraine. Um, there's nothing. There is yeah, no there, good that's coming from this. Yeah, there, there's there's no silver lining. I mean, okay, I I suppose with the slight possible exception, you know, this has reunified. So so two things. I I think if you're looking for silver lining from the U.S. perspective, like it. It is very helpful for reunifying NATO and, and starting to undo a lot of the damage that Trump did. I mean, yep. Biden's been working on that. But hey, let's face it, America has benefited from being at the top of this big alliance that has preserved peace in Europe, preserved had a basic security structure in Europe, um, and that has you know, provided assistance to the U.S. and its foreign conflicts. And the whole Trump project of trying to dismantle NATO and blow it up, I mean, who knows if it was because he's so beholden to Putin he tried to do that, but he did try to do that. And so this has totally reversed that. So already we see Putin has achieved absolutely the opposite of what he said he set out to do. He wanted NATO to uh, to become weaker, to you know fewer U.S. troops in Europe, less unity, 
Um, but instead, the exact opposite has happened, that the NATO alliances come together, so far anyway, and um, you know, there's more U.S. troops going to Russia. There's more resolve. The other thing is, I think if you look at the U.S. politics side of it, you know, apart from a few, what did you call them before? Oh, <laughs> the, evil asshats. Yeah. Evil asshats <laughs> like Carlson and Trump, and and now you know Tulsi Gabbard. She's the latest. Oh to, yeah, uh, what the fuck, Tulsi? Sorry. I, I don't anyway, know. I, I don't know. Right. I really don't know what what happened with that. It's just uh, I think she must be on the on the play on the payroll. She has to the be. There's no other way. Yeah, exactly. She's a total asset. <laughs> so, but I, I really think it's kind of a fringe position. I really don't think, uh, apart from them, it seems the Republicans can't decide whether Biden's being too strong or too weak. So he, you know, I personally, Trump- I personally feel like he's not being strong enough. Which I want to pick your brain about we're doing so we've enacted a lot of sanctions mainly in the tech world and also like against the oligarchs stuff like that however a big things that i've noticed that we're not enacting sanctions are our oil and gas and oil and gas count for 40 percent of russia's exports so that's a really really big thing to not be doing and i understand that enacting those sanctions would have a big effect on america at home wanted to kind of get your thoughts do you think biden will enact those sanctions on oil and gas do you think that's kind of like i feel like that might be one of the best ways to stop putin yeah i mean some of the tech export sanctions do affect the oil and gas industry i mean russian oil and gas industry is doesn't really have its own uh, you know, relies on imports for a lot of its technology, but that's not an immediate thing. You know, so what what would hurt that is SWIFT. So so SWIFT would basically make it impossible for Russia to export anything and get paid for it. Uh, for people who don't know what SWIFT is, Ted, would you tell them? It's a Belgian created uh, system where, whereby banks communicate with each other. So it replaced the old telex system. And basically, what SWIFT is, there's about eleven thousand, I think, banks that are members of this. Uh, uh, SWIFT, it's an acronym. and It's know, an and international banking, banking system. And, yes, international yeah. banking system, which basically, without that, so banks have all come to rely on it. So without that, you know, when you transfer your money, you do some work in Germany, they send you money through wire transfer. Well, that goes through the SWIFT system. Without the SWIFT system, there's no way for the banks to know where that money's coming from, where it's going. So that basically puts an end to wire transactions. Uh, and without those, then you're relying on checks and cash and, you know, and, and there's no way for major international commerce to work. A Russian economist uh, named Kudrin, he estimated that, you know, ending SWIFT or cutting Russia out of SWIFT would reduce their economy by 5%. It would hurt their growth by 5% in the next year. So I think if you have a Russian economist, uh, who's a good economist, as well as being a politician, say that, it's going to really take a big bite. So do you think? Do you think would... they're going to be kicked out of SWIFT? And by the way, people, um, the, a lot of the international community is calling for Russia to be kicked out of SWIFT as it's kind of one of the bigger sanctions that could happen um, yes. in response. So, do you think yes. that's going to happen? I think, this, I think the stumbling block is Germany. I think Germany, you know, which is particularly reliant on oil and gas imports. I mean, the U.S. gets a little bit of its energy supplies from Russia, not that much though. Germany, I think, you know, as estimated, gets thirty percent of its gas. So if you wow. if you cut those supplies, particularly you know, in wintertime, that's really going to drive up prices. There, it's going to cause shortages. It's going to be a real problem. Um, but also, it's going to impede the uh, German companies, uh, hamper their ability to make money. So, so the EU in general has much more trade with Russia than the U.S. I, you know, I really don't think these sanctions, even the oil and gas, it, it's not going to hurt Americans that much. Like. Prices are already going up. Inflation is already high. The war is already going to create uncertainty in markets and drive, and there'll be profiteering and so forth, speculation. So 
I think the additional impact of sanctions is very minimal, actually. It's kind of overblown. It's much more consequential for Europe, and that's why I think it's, it's particularly the Europeans who are balking at kicking Russia out of SWIFT. Now, I think if Kiev falls, I think if you know, we see something like the uh, execution of uh, Ukrainian leaders, then I think you're going to see SWIFT uh, revoked. I think the Europeans are trying to hold out in the hope that maybe, you know, Russia won't go the next step. But I, I would predict that, yes, yeah, Swift, and I also think they're going to sanction Putin personally. And, and that's, uh, that would be a big step. I, I don't know that we've seen that in recent years where, you know, individual leaders of a country, a head of state is actually sanctioned by the U.S. And I don't know how much of an impact, it's probably more symbolic, I'm sure, you know, Putin right. is so rich, some think he's the richest guy in the world. He is he really? Well, have you seen this YouTube video of his his mansion in the Black Sea? Like, you should watch it if you have. You should because it's just it's remarkable. You've never seen any you know luxury like that. And and it, so I this have, is the one I, where I hate a lot of people from high school, but I don't think I've ever hated someone more than Putin at the moment. <laughs> yeah, he's he's really despicable. I mean, he really goes he just, down. Yeah, it's awful people in history. And this is, I mean, this Ukrainian, you know, I already felt that way about him, but now I think this Ukrainian, like he, he's going to go down in history, not only as uh, you know, one of the most horrible and, and evil and just vicious, cruel, selfish leaders we've, we've ever seen, you know, along the likes of Hitler and Stalin, but also as a colossal failure, because this is a huge blunder. Interesting. So where do you see the international community going next? Because all these sanctions are starting, so where, but it hasn't stopped, you know, and Putin is still ravishing Ukraine. Yeah, so. I don't think it's going to stop. I, he, he's going to continue his mission. I mean, although, so today, I yeah. guess there's been some discussions of maybe opening negotiations, you know, and, and Russia has suffered some casualties, you know, they've shot down some uh, planes, they've destroyed some Russian tanks, those Javelin missiles, remember those missiles that Trump didn't want to give Zelensky until he agreed to help him, like, frame Hunter oh, Biden? was that what that was about? Yeah, that's what Javelin missiles. All right, and, and so they, Trump is are, literally on his knees to Putin. So yeah, all right. Trump is literally on his knees and bent over, whatever, whatever, yeah, whatever, uh, asking for more. Whatever, yeah, probably both at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, he really was really a suck up and a kiss ass and and everything, and it's just it's pathetic. How can these people see hear Trump, you know, suck up? lick the asshole of this guy Putin yeah. who's such a butcher and think that's okay. I mean, what's, I just don't get it. It's just crazy. It's yeah. just crazy. It's a brainwashing and distrust and just the entire world is so upsetting. So, okay. But back to your question, like, I, I don't think this is going to end soon. I mean, I don't think Putin is just going to pack up and, and go and leave. I mean, I think he's, he's he made mission. a decision that he's taking this to the bitter end. And so yeah. they'll keep fighting. They'll just keep escalating. Like they have, the, the uh, personnel and the equipment to, to prevail. Uh, I mean, I think what they've tried to do so far is make it kind of a more surgical attack where they're just engaging Ukrainian forces. Uh, they were in the hope that maybe Ukraine, Ukraine's army would capitulate and they wouldn't get much resistance. That's proven not to be the case, but I don't think that leads to them retreating. I think it will lead to an escalation. So I think we're going to see a lot more carnage uh, in the coming days. And then what? I mean, what's he going to do then? I mean, so, all right, is he going to install a puppet regime? Is he going to annex all of Ukraine and say now it's part of Russia? I mean, and enslave the people? I mean, look, these people are willing to die uh, in the name of their freedom. They're not going to just happily accept whoever Putin puts in there. It's just not not in the cards. That is um, so upsetting. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, I'm I'm glad you're uh, covering this because I think – 
No, for Americans, I, I mean, let's face it. There's lots of horrible things happening all over the world. There's right. lots of there's, there's wars in Africa. There's frozen conflicts. There's guerrilla. There's right wing states, uh, authoritarian dictators that massacre their people all throughout the world. But this somehow, you know, the scale of it, amount of weaponry that is being deployed against Ukraine, uh, it, it's just beyond comparison. The scale. Yeah. We have many Ukrainians and Russians living in our midst. And by the way, I also want to make the point, every Russian I know, and I know a number of them, many of them are in the U.S., a lot of them are in Russia, they are deeply, they're as upset by this as you and I are. This is really, like, they're just shocked. Like, imagine how we would feel if the U.S. started to bomb Montreal and Ottawa and Toronto. Exactly. I think that's why it feels so shocking to all of us. We're like, what the, you know, like, how is this happening, you know? Yeah, right, right. And I actually learned yesterday from my mom that I'm of Ukrainian heritage, which I had no idea. I thought there we were Russian, you know, because all Jews from the old country are all like all from that part of the area. And I always thought we were Russian. My mom was like, no, like your great grandfather was from Kiev. And I was like, who told me, <laughs> you know, like it's well, why it just feels so close to home because people have so many ties to yeah, this country. So many ties, so many ties. Yeah. yeah. So where do we go from here? How do we help Ukraine? How do we put an end to this carnage? Well, I mean, there's been talk of arming an insurgency. And uh, I mean, I think depending on how things pan out, that is certainly, you know, one thing that can be done. We, we have to make it, uh, you know, we meaning the international community, the United States, should make it painful for the Russians to occupy this country right. and impose their will. We have to keep the costs high so that it puts more pressure on Putin. We have to maintain our unity, maintain the sanctions. I mean, the fear is that, all right, this is in the news now, but then Russia will take over and then gradually people will forget exactly. about our, Which our is allies. Which is always off. the fear with these types of situations as it gets news coverage and then all of a sudden the news cycle forgets about these people and these people are still going through it. Just because we don't see it doesn't mean they're not still going through it on a day-by-day basis. That's right. And I also think you know we should embark in an all-out campaign to try to turn the, the Russian people against Putin. Now, Putin has yeah. accused of the, us of doing that before, and maybe there was a little bit of that, you know, yeah. honestly. <laughs> In the past, but sneaky, I don't sneaky. think it was effective, and I don't think, and I, and I, we had to be creative. I mean, right. I think, you know, so one concrete thing we can do is, and, and this sounds counterintuitive, but I think we should open our borders and we should get, we should invite any Russian who wants to, to come to the U.S. and work in the U.S. Now, we should vet them for security reasons. We don't want, like, spies and plans. So I think, you know, Russia has a lot of very talented people. It needs its talented people. If we can attract their talented people to come here and leave Russia, um, instead, the U.S. government has done the opposite. They made it almost impossible for Russians to get visas, and that just makes no sense to me. Uh, right. It makes no sense. We should be we should be doing the opposite. We, you know, I think, if we believe that our way, our institutions are preferable to Putin's, you know, dictatorship, then let the Russians see for themselves. Bring them over here. Let them work here. Let them contribute to our society. Let them, you know, get educated in our institutions. Let them, and they're not all going to love us. They're not, you know, a lot of them. You know, and then the United States is far from perfect. There's lots of problems here, yeah. as I'm sure you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but I think by and large, you know, it would be one very easy thing to do would be to make it a lot easier for Russians and also Ukrainians. And we should. So, so that's another thing we have to do is we really have to support Poland because that's where most of them are going to go Interesting. Uh, yeah. in terms of uh, accommodating the refugees who are going to leave Ukraine and flee. We have to do what we can to prop up you know, sort of a shadow government so that Ukrainians have a leader, a kind of government, uh, perhaps housed in Poland, 
that can make policy, that can coordinate efforts to oppose the Russian forces. So I think there are, you know, we can do all those things. The most important thing is, is the alliance has to stick together. I have two questions I want to pick your brain about. Um, first one is NATO. So I saw NATO for the first time ever enacted their defense forces, which I think it sends about 40,000 troops into the surrounding areas. Do you think there's a world in which America actually sends troops in into Ukraine? No, I no. think that's is not going to happen. Okay, yeah. I know people are very concerned about that. I also don't think it's going to happen because otherwise that would truly be World War III, and I don't think anyone wants that. The risks far outweigh the potential benefits. We wouldn't be able to send in enough troops. The Russian army has improved a lot. You know, they kind of went had some really tough times in the '90s, but one of the things Putin has done is really you know, modernize the force. They have a lot of really powerful weapons. I mean, and they have nukes. And they have nukes. Why do we give men nuclear weapons is the real question that I have. No man, sorry, no man is stable enough to have the power of a nuke, okay? Ted, I'm sure you would be fine with nukes, but I do not trust I would be fine. anyone I would else. I think, yeah, it's like the, you know, the big missile. Like every man wants to have his big missile, I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> euphemism for everything, okay? <laughs> Truly a euphemism. Second really thing is, sad. speaking of nukes, they captured Chernobyl, and that's a big thing. First of all, they're like reenacting all this nuclear waste, all this radioactivity that's surrounding, and all these particles are flying, which is yeah. just so stupid. But what's the importance of them getting Chernobyl? I don't really know. The one thing I would speculate is maybe they were concerned, maybe the Russians were concerned that the Ukrainians could somehow trigger uh, or blow up Chernobyl in such a way that uh, the fallout would go mainly towards Russia. I mean, it's right sort of near the border there with Biel, near the intersection of Belarus, Russia, and uh, Ukraine. So maybe they thought there would be some kind of sabotage attempt or something. I mean, it doesn't really have much strategic value, it seems to me. I mean, are there nuclear? Are there nuclear like facilities there? Are they still active? Do Russia have? Oh no, they're still active. It's just a big. I mean, they so they built this big dome to enclose, you know, the, all the nuclear waste. The, the nuclear so waste. So mainly more like symbolic type of thing rather than. Yeah, I think it's a largely okay. symbolic, and it's people largely are like they, yeah. And so Ukraine. I mean, Ukraine used to have nuclear weapons. So part of the reason the Ukrainians are so mad, honestly, is that they there was something called the Budapest Agreement in the early right. days following the Soviet collapse, where they agreed to give up their nuclear weapons. Like they, they are one of the few countries that had nuclear weapons and they said, you know what, we're not, we don't really need these. We're going to get rid of them. We're peace loving people. And there were some vaguely worded guarantees. No international lawyer will tell you that those Budapest agreements were binding and that they required the U.S. to intervene to protect uh, Ukraine. But the Ukrainians interpreted it that way. At the time, it seemed to be that way. So now they, they feel really burned. I mean, would Putin have done this if they had a nuclear stockpile, which could severely hurt Russia, probably not. And so I think they have a good point. It's also a sad thing because, you know, who in the future is ever going to give up their nuclear weapons? If you give them up and then, you know, a decade or two decades later, you get invaded by a country like Russia. It's really, it, it's, that's a, another element of this that really, really, really sucks. Really? Yeah. So for, for those who would like nuclear non-proliferation and yeah. First of all, I just feel like the entire world just needs a mom to be like, hand over the nukes. Like you can, you do not deserve them right now. Okay. <laughs> I, you know, just every the entire right. world needs to be momified. I feel like all we can do is just keep putting pressure on Russia, trying to sow distrust between the people and Putin, you know, which I think is hopefully what we're doing with, because I really see, think they're finally seeing uh, the evil that he is capable of.
you know. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and moreover, I mean, I would add this too, like thinking a bit longer term. So, so one of the reasons I think the U.S. and others have balked at really pursuing that policy is because the, the fear that you know, whoever replaces Putin could be worse than Putin. Uh, yeah. In terms of being, you know, super nationalistic and super militaristic and just super nasty and scary on all dimensions. Well, now the uh, the prospect that someone who's even worse than Putin follows Putin is really diminished by right. this experience. Because I really, you know, I, I really believe this, and I don't, you know, I, I'm a social scientist. I believe in evidence, and but this is really, you know, I don't think we we don't know. We don't have evidence. We I don't trust the polling coming out of the Russia. Even that polling today. Or recently has shown that the war is not popular. This is a game changer. Like it's just a everything else, all the other wars that Putin has fought, the small scale thing. This is different. This is really very different. This is a abhorrent, like absolutely abhorrent thing that is going on right now. And uh, do you have any other comments? Any other statements? I mean, I personally have just been in in, in shock, and you know my emotions have run really high. And she's deeply upset. You, I've. I've studied these countries for 30 years. I've traveled to both of them. I I love them on some level. And it just pains me to see this level of just depravity all because of one man and he and his greedy criminal friends who have really captured this entire nation of 140 million people in Russia. And um, a lot can happen. And we're not out of the woods. It could get a lot worse. Like Putin. Yeah, we're recording this on Friday. It's going to air on Monday. And there's so much that can happen in those two days. So much that can happen. Right. And, and you know, it could end up, you know, maybe he'll decide, he'll want to provoke even more. He'll attack Poland. He'll start, he'll launch a tactical nuke. I mean, I, I don't think it's are likely, but I certainly wouldn't rule them out. And if there's really no something, and that's very, very frightening, that's given the scary. amount, the arsenal that he has under his control. Yeah, I think all we can do now from in America and across seas is encourage our governments to put as many sanctions as possible on Russia. Unfortunately, like Putin is sacrificing the better good of his own citizens for his own little egotistical maniac aggression, you know, because those sanctions are going to end up hurting the Russian people. They're not going to hurt him. And that's what I think is so upsetting about this. The UN is, there's going to be, there's a massive refugee issue going on right now, massive refugee crisis of Ukrainians. Over 100,000 Ukrainians have already been displaced. There are going to be upwards of like four to five million being displaced, you know. There's going to be millions and millions of people displaced. And I think all we can do is try to support those people as much as possible by giving donations, making sure that our government is putting sanctions on Russia and then also supporting Russians that are fighting against Putin because they are also putting their lives on ri- at risk. So it's two things. Yes. I mean, supporting those Russians who are brave enough to oppose Putin. Um, and it's also somehow reaching. I mean, part of the problem is that th- there are a lot of Russians who just don't have any access to any source of information other than the Kremlin line. My own pet theory is that the, this is really driven by Putin's domestic concerns and it, that's his ultimate goal. So we're going to see worse crackdowns. And so the U.S. has to find some way to reach uh, the people of Russia to you know, remind them that the reason why they're not able to pay their bills and they're losing their jobs and they can't afford to put food on the table is, is Putin. It's not the U.S. It's Putin. He is the one who bears responsibility for their suffering. So they need to get rid of him because the U.S., I mean, short of like launching a missile to Kremlin, which probably won't work and could it would not be good. Of, We're all going to die if that happens. No, no, no I, I don't advocate that. I don't think that's... Yeah. A, I mean, if they could do like a covert kind of thing. But yeah, if they I, could do I, like I, a 007 type of thing, like, you know, yeah. there's been worse things to happen, but unfortunately... Yeah, like you know, a double guy in the... With one yeah, of those yeah, just rides in the uh, motorcycle. Right, 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 yeah. 
But uh, where's, I wouldn't where's Daniel Craig when we need him is the real question. <laughs> this is a really scary and a really sad situation. And unfortunately, it's yeah. it sucks. Well, and all and you can do really is apply pressure to our governments, too. I mean, right. I personally would like to see um, them thrown out of SWIFT just because I think that'd probably be like the biggest sanction that they can do against them. I would also like to see the U.S. I saw Germany stop at the Nord track, which is the uh, pipeline they were building with Russia for oil, which I think was a yeah, great move. Nord Stream 2, yes. yes Nord Stream 2. Um, Nord track feels like a like a luge place, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so got Olympics on the mind. Like Peloton. I know, cross- literally. Yeah, no, no. Nord Stream 2. There's a continue to pressure our government, continue to pressure the world to make sure that sanctions are put on Russia and that Russia feels the pain. And unfortunately, this is Putin's doing. You know, this is all Putin. Mm. Remember, don't be racist to Russians because more or less, yes. the often is that they do not want this. People are not their governments. Um, and Very all we can do point. is just keep spreading the information about what's going on in Ukraine and supporting those people through monetary and information. That's right. And we have to keep it on the agenda in the U S like you really worry that, okay, you know, right now people are upset. There's a, you know, they're seeing bombs fall, but uh, you just feel that people will lose interest and they'll be more upset about inflation and go back to worrying about, you know, why. And so I, you know, Good for you writing this series <laughs> on this topic, and I hope you, you. and others will continue because, um, yeah, we really need to keep informing Americans and keeping their attention on this. You know, uh, while we can't go and fight them, there's other things we can do, and we have to do them, even if they might cause us a little bit of pain. So I think that's the message we have to stick with. That you know, this does matter. This affects us all. It'll affect our children, grandchildren, future generations. Yeah, it's all about making sure that we use our power for the good and supporting people that need. Um, as most helpful as possible. So anyways, I'm Emily. This has been kind of a shitty podcast just based on what is going on in the world, you know, but Ted, you've been great. I'm going to post a lot of links about where we can donate aid to Ukraine to help them as much as possible. Um, just keep educating yourselves because remember, you know, even though it's not in the news cycle, doesn't mean it's, it's stopped happening, you know, and that's That's really important to remember. But, uh, Ted, it's been great to have you and thank you so much. And I'm Emily Gross, your host, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Bureaucracy.